Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Saving the World podcast with Luke McMichael and Martin Resney. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Uh, see if I can get the name right. Nella Kedziorova. Kedziorova. Is that correct? Kedziorova. So thank you so much for joining us today, Nella. Um, our special guest, Nella, is here because she is the winner of the very first ever uh, Saving the World essay contest. Um, which we have on our website. If you uh, are curious and learning more about it for next year, it'll be a yearly thing. Um, so she is the, the winner of the $250 Canadian grand prize. So congratulations to Nella. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about the essay that she wrote and uh, and kind of try to make some sense of it and have some fun with it, ask Nella some questions. Uh, Martin, do you want to give us your uh, quick take on, on the essay itself and maybe ask, uh, bring Nell into some discussion? Well, I think actually the best thing to do first would be for Nella to briefly summarize or introduce what it was that was her point so that we make sure we don't misrepresent or somehow misread whatever she wrote in the essay. That's a great point. Nella, how, we'll, we'll turn the floor over to you. How about you just kind of walk us through your essay a little bit and what you were trying to get? So the question is, if you were in charge of everything, how would what would you do? How would you save the world? And that was kind of the the question put out to everybody to write an essay on how they would save the world. So this is Nella's chance to to give us a, a good review on that. What was what was your essay? But why did you get the idea? And and uh, tell us as much as you, as you like. So hello, I'm really glad I can be here. And in my essay, first I didn't know what to write about because there are so many things that we actually face and have to solve. But then I came to the conclusion that the first thing ever we can do, or we have to do, is to have peace in the world. Because without peace, we cannot achieve anything else. There are, every problem we should solve is somehow connected to peace. And that's actually the thing I wrote about. <laughs> Thank you. That's a, that's a great summary. It really uh, comes down to that. And that's definitely something that Martin and I really haven't focused on as much as we should have. We've, we've, we've had a couple of small podcasts about war and how to try to control tyrants and how to try to hold that back. We, we definitely had a little bit on the Ukraine war, obviously. But it's something I think definitely needs to be a focus, needs to constantly be the mainstream. Um, and I, I really liked in your essay how you kind of made the comment that we need to we need to be almost not not scared but we need to be remembrance we need to remember the the horrors of war as much as possible in order to prevent future wars and in order to be disgusted by by war i guess um can you tell me a little bit more about what, what you were thinking there as far as um you know the, the disgust of war and how it can actually lead us to better things Um, like how peace can leave us to better things. Yeah, sure. How well? How 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 do we get peace? I guess so. In your essay, you, you talked a lot about that. So, what's your what's your feeling on that? How do yeah. how do yeah? How do we get peace? There are like more parts of peace we have to solve. Um, the first one is to keep peace in places when there already peace is, and 
this may seem easy, but actually it's also a thing we have to care about because, for example, now when we face energy crisis, inflation and so on, it is much easier to radicalize people and then it can also lead to a war like before the second world war in germany people were really frustrated from the um versailles conference outcomes and their lives were really bad now in europe um life conditions are also getting worse and there are many populists who are trying to get some political points on that and if we let them come to power and rule our states, it can be really dangerous because then when we are divided, it is easy to get some seeds of hatred come here and then, yeah, we can fall into a war again. Mm. Then we also have to solve ongoing conflicts. What's probably the most complicated thing and I'm not a expert on every world conflict, so I cannot list it here. But I think that it is really urgent to think about these possible solutions to cyber wars like in Somalia, Yemen, and so because they are really, really bad and many people are suffering. And if we solve them, it could be really good <laughs> yeah. yeah thank you so well, much if I, if I may just like to as like my sort of review of, of the essay i what i especially liked uh it's kind of simple of course to make uh, an argument for or, or argument to say that it wouldn't be nice if we had world peace what i really liked about the essay was that it wasn't a naive conception of peace specifically peace at all costs it was uh uh, Anela, I, I liked how you mentioned appeasement and uh, made the connection between the current conflict in Ukraine and the annexation of Sudetenland in Czechoslovakia before the Second World War. Could you please uh, explain, because I think this is a very important aspect uh, relevant to current situation about how to keep peace. Could you please explain a little bit what's the problem with, uh, in your view with the, con uh, with the concept of uh, trying to have peace at all costs? Yeah, the biggest problem actually is that if it's fourth piece, fourth piece, it can never last because actually peace has to be also in minds and in hearts of people. And then when we are just doing everything to keep peace, but we give up on our values and we give up maybe on parts of our lands and so on, then it actually isn't peace anymore because there's no peace without freedom and there is no peace without justice. And this is really something that is um, total against our international system. And yeah, appeasement. I understand, of course, that like Great Britain and so on, France, they were scared after the First World War to have another war. But when they thought that a dictator can be satisfied if they give him just just a part of the then Czechoslovakia. It was really, yeah, it's so naive. And um, the same could happen now when 
Russia already annexed some parts of Ukraine um, yesterday and today Putin underwrote it and yeah this is something we can never allow to be recognized widely from the international community because it would destroy everything we attempted to build after the second world war yeah, I also really liked uh, how you mentioned, uh, like also to l let you explain more of what was the interesting points in your uh, in your essay. Uh, I really like you proposed some sort of a reform of the United Nations. So could you please explain what's your idea there, or like what's the problem currently with how the United Nations are structured in terms of guaranteeing peace in the world? Yeah, the problem is that um, the UN actually did, do not guarantee peace. <laughs> because um, they cannot act in conflicts in which some of the five permanent members, which are China, France, US, Great Britain, and Russia, have some interests. And then if all these five countries, which two of them are autocratic, cannot agree on something, then they can actually do nothing because only the Security Council has right to do obligatory actions. And for example, the General Assembly, in which are all states that are UN recognized of the world, then if they say that something should be done, it's really just a recommendation. And uh, if someone doesn't like it, they actually don't have to do it because there is yeah, they cannot force them to do it, but the UN Security Council actually can. And I think that it should change because we see that these five countries are not the guarants of peace anymore. When Russia invaded Ukraine, this is something the UN never thought could happen, and we all probably never thought could happen. But then if every obligatory action should be authorized by, for example, a constructive majority in the General Assembly, then it it would really work better because, for example, the General Assembly made a resolution about war in Ukraine even more times and they told like that it should be stopped immediately and such things, but like they cannot force Russia to stop it. So. Yeah. I think that was definitely one of the great points I was going to bring up as well is, is the reform of the UN is definitely something we've, we've talked a fair bit about um, in the past with trying to somehow make it so that you can't veto good things, you can't veto progress. Um, so I, reading that in your essay definitely was, was something really strong to me, something really, really important that I think everyone in the world needs to start thinking about. We've, um, I, I was a huge fan of the UN's 17 Sustainable Development Goals. That was something that really got me into this in a pretty big way and made me want to, to really create this website and podcast. Um, but again, I feel like in order to actually implement these 17 goals, they need a little more power and they, they can't be you know, handcuffed by these vetoes of if one country doesn't want to save the world, then we can't save the world. And uh, so we definitely need to come together with new ideas and new ways to kind of break through that, that veto power. We've seen it even in just individual countries. So you see it in the States with, um, you know, the Senate, uh, the Republicans and Democrats completely uh, always trying to block each other out. Whenever somebody wants to do something good, the other side's just constantly trying to hold them back and blame everything on the other side, point the finger and, and just basically prevent them from doing anything positive. Um, 
you know, because they just don't have enough votes. They need maybe a 66% majority and it's really hard to ever get that to do anything, anything important. So uh, we definitely have to rethink ways to try to get more consensus and some kind of way to, uh, to, to, to bust through these, these veto powers, particularly where, you know, tyrants may be involved, where, where one person is ruling a whole country and, and trying to decide, you know, the fate of other countries by either attacking them or, or forcing them or, or maybe even buying them out in some ways. And, you know, economically forcing them to do things. So that's, I think, was a really, really great part of the essay that uh, kind of highlighted that. So it was very, very well done. Thank you. Yeah, I also like the SDGs. I have heard of bit of them. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you said you were part of, um, you were part of some kind of council or a youth council for, uh, what was it? What, what was it called? Was it United Nations? Unfortunately not, but I've been to UN headquarters in Vienna and voted there. Excellent. So, yeah. Right. Really exciting. Um, so so glad to see you. Nella's only 16 years old. She, it's really exciting uh, that uh, the youth are able to come up with some great ideas that even old guys like me and Martin uh, sometimes have trouble putting together into words. And uh, she was able to put it in a great essay very succinctly and in a way that you know, I hadn't really thought about specifically like that before. And uh, so it was, it was oh, great yeah. for me to read that. Yeah, but that to be to be uh, fair, uh, I'll guess in a sort of debating sense, because like part big part of my background is uh, in uh, debating competitions, which usually involve high schoolers. And uh, like I said before the show, I uh, was actually quite surprised that somebody at, with your English level from Czech Republic and able to write an essay like this uh, wasn't really involved, like the whole high school in the debating competition, because that's usually uh, in our country, the people who are capable of that uh, usually are capable of that because they have been involved in, in a program like this. So instead of a, the debating spirit, like what would happen if this was a debate or your essay was like an opening statement in a, in a debate would be to try to probe the ideas and to be like try to be critical of the ideas in order to refine them into the, their best possible version. So, for instance, when you say with the United Nations situation uh, in the essay that it, there should be a, a constructive majority in the United Nations as opposed to the current uh, model of the Security Council with the specific selected countries, then somebody could have a counter argument in terms of uh, trying to figure out how to actually set it up, how to actually do the kind of vote uh, that would be required. So. If somebody said, uh, as like a criticism to your idea that not all countries in the United Nations are equal in terms of their effect on world peace, for instance, you could find many different ways to measure between them, like the power of their military or the number of population that's in the country, or like you could try to find various sort of objective comparisons between the countries, uh, which could indicate that maybe like a one country, one vote wouldn't necessarily be something that like the, the most powerful countries would choose to respect uh, in the world anyway. So if you think about it in sort of these terms, like how would you specifically set up in your mind the vote the, in the United Nations so that uh, it would be something that realistically in real world, even the more powerful, powerful players might feel that they inclined to indulge and be involved in. I I still believe in equality and even though those important players would may feel like they haven't got the power they deserve, 
they've actually got their chance to rule the world. Let's say if they, we say it like that, because um, we see that the Security Council doesn't work, then we should maybe try to give the power also to other states. Many of them are new when the UN was founded. There were just 51 states and now it's 193. And there is, for example, no permanent member from Africa or South America in the Security Council. And I think that these countries also have important and interesting points of view and they can contribute to everything the UN does. But now when they all the time have to think about these five powers, which have the veto power, then they maybe, then maybe some good solutions cannot be implemented. And if we give a kilo power to everyone, we also support compromise making and other countries also have their voice. Yeah. Oh, just, uh, yeah, just a, a quick follow up because I think it was really good. Uh, so it, it's like I said, I uh, also before the podcast, I studied political science. So you actually double down very effectively on equality as, as a principle. And I respect that. Uh, it's just within the whole context of political science. I think what you would also need to address, I think like you sort of made a very good point against the veto specifically, but sort of veto making anything impossible is not useful at all. And you made a good point for uh, what's called proportional representation within the, that, that it should be about if everybody has equally votes and so everybody has to be involved in the decision, then the decision will be more proportionally representative of what most people in the world actually would want to happen, which is similar to an argument for proportional uh, type of vote or representation in normal political systems. But uh, just, just one last point sort of to contend with from the side of uh, people who call themselves political realists. Uh, I think there's a famous political scientist, Max Weber, and he basically defined power as in political power as uh, the monopoly on or the authority to wield violence. So basically saying violence is power. So what would you as a young egalitarian person who wants to help things in the world, what would you say to the argument that politically violence is power as some political realists believe? Actually, it is some kind of power, but not everything can be achieved only through the violence. And I believe that um, working together is at the end of the day better for both sides and that, that the side that could use the violence can actually achieve more if the, the side works the other side because then there is no loss of resources and actually um, also not hate between the people mm. and I believe that if we work together and cooperate we achieve more than when we just start for someone to do something yeah thank you you should really consider doing debating <laughs> I think you'll be pretty good at it I definitely, uh, I definitely think that the proportional representation con concept is a really important one with with this. Is 
if you kind of tried to break it up votes equal to every million people or every 10 million people, you get one vote or something, um, you would definitely get a lot more power, you know, in the African and South American countries than they have right now. And, and even the Asian countries obviously would get a lot more power. Um, and I guess that's the challenge is, is trying to give too much power to, you know, maybe India and China, just because they have so many people, you know, do we let them make all our decisions? Cause they would have almost a, almost a half the world in, in those two countries. Um, so it's definitely tricky to try to figure out how to balance it out in a way that's kind of proportional to everyone in the world. And, but I definitely think there's a lot that can be a lot of progress that can be made from the consensus kind of decision-making process and trying to talk things through and what works for everybody. And, but, but you definitely have to find ways to kind of, in some ways, force things through the countries that are holding it up. And that's, that's the challenge I think that we're we're facing right now with the veto. So it's definitely something we need to, to consider if we're ever gonna create a either a brand new UN, maybe based on NATO or something, with, if, if Russia loses this war and every country in the world decides to join NATO to prevent it in the future, um, that would be kind of interesting. Or we'll, we'll create a new name for NATO perhaps, some kind of world federation uh, for protection, for defense, world self-defense force perhaps. Um, that's basically specifically about preventing aggression preventing war of any kind. Yeah, you can still defend your own countries and you have still police forces preventing atrocities and tyrants and, and uh, warlords. But as far as a country attacking another, hopefully we can create a world where that never happens. If we're all disgusted enough and we've all lost friends and family to warfare or, or have suffered from warfare economically in some way, uh, if not uh, physically, then you know we, we can all work together to to prevent that and avoid those wars in the future i think yeah but i think that this may be brand new organization but i actually believe in the un i think that the idea is fine it's just um better done yeah. and it's that it should really um, be based on peace and not like um based on our opposition to for example russia or china and so because um even if we may not like it they are also part of the international system and they also have a right to have voice even when they do even though they do these things and are not democratic but um creating a organization that would be based on being against something i don't think could lead to peace i i remember from your essay i really like the point about making comparison between uh, germany and maybe future russia or past germany and future russia whereas uh, you said that the, the past germany also they were the enemy but uh, once they learned their lesson then everybody accepted them back into the uh, global world system and uh, Germany now specifically, maybe because of their history, is actually one of the leading pacifist political forces in the world. And uh, now sort of ironically, will try to back it up with more military of their own. It's sort of an interesting conundrum. But uh, I've just recently heard, uh, I would recommend uh, this called Perun is on YouTube and uh, he is doing very good uh, analysis. He's an Australian person actually. And he's doing analyses of the current conflict, probably the best ones on the internet, in my humble opinion, which is somewhat expert. And uh, he, I just recently listened to his video about uh, German sort of current situation of like trying to procure more weapons again. And he sort of uh, concluded the whole video with uh, a message to the people of Germany, kind of, is uh, 
uh, that just because you have a military, that doesn't mean that you have to go on conquering the world again. Uh, so they, I guess, that I guess is a, a place for or a reasoning for uh, having a military as a deterrent, as like showing that uh, you, if it were to if conflict were to happen, it wouldn't go well for the aggressor. But just because you have it, don't have to decide to be aggress to be an aggressor. And I think Germany is an interesting example of how. A country with its culture can turn around 180 degrees. So, uh, if you if you look at the, the current situation in Russia, what are your thoughts on how you think it's going to go in the in the near future? Probably, possibly. Um, in Russia, there is a problem that the dictatorship has been like the war history long there. And then, especially in the last 20 years, the Russians were really under massive propaganda that was anti-Western and that was really fascist, let's say like that. And it, I believe that for them, it would be much harder to get back into the international community than for Germany, because um, the brainwashing is much bigger than it was by the Germans because now we have social media and everything is spreading so fast and they hear it like from everywhere and see it from everywhere and after such a long time of being taught that the that you are like the best in the world and that you are saving everyone else it's it's hard but Germans also went through something like that. Maybe it was not that massive, but um, they, after the war, they showed that they want to return to the normal world. And if Russia did the same, which I don't know if I believe that they would, um, we should help them. Okay, so you mentioned many times uh, now the social media thing. It was another problem that you mentioned in the essay specifically. So if you think that is one of the main obstacles today in countries like Russia, but presumably many other places in the world, uh, is sort of an obstacle to people being more reasonable and cooperative in, in the world. Uh, do you have any thoughts on what to do about the, the social media situation going forward, some sort of reform or some rules to set up or really anything that you can think of to make it better? Yeah, I think that the first thing we should do with so about social media media is to make the algorithms transparent. Because when we don't know um, on which algorithm is based the content we see and how often we see it and so then it is really hard to change, change something about it. And it, I, I think that if it becomes transparent then some experts can maybe um, make some, or like, I'm sorry, I forget about that word. Yeah. Uh, have, you, have you heard just in, in relation to this specifically, because I think what you're describing is a thing that exists and has a name. Have you heard of the open source movement? I know what's open source, but I know what is movement. Well, basically, when you say that algorithms should be, you should know what exactly the algorithms are doing and that all the coding needs to be transparent, then it's a big part of what open source 
as in open source code uh, movement is about. I've well recently started working at Red Hat, which has offices in Brno, which is a company that's uh, probably the world's biggest one that uh, produces open source software, which uh, you don't have to pay for for the code because the code is free and available and transparent. And uh, the only way to make money on that is through services related to that software as a company. So there's a whole thing like what you're describing. I just would suggest if you think that this is a way forward uh, as another thing, maybe you could look into, I think would be interesting for you as in like how the actual technicalities of like how what you're saying could be done is uh, the name of that is uh, open source. But uh, yeah, I think I, I very much would agree uh, with you on the, this as a part of uh, the solution as somebody who has studied media and communication uh, at the university also there, usually back when I studied it uh, years ago, it was more like identifying that everything's wrong and there weren't any many solutions of like what anybody could do about it maybe. And uh, I have a sneaking suspicion that many people with my education have spent the last decade contributing to the problems by working at the companies who are creating the not the obscure uh, algorithms that are doing even different things than the people who created them wanted them to do in the first place. So, yeah. So, yeah. Once again, then thank you, thank you for your ideas. Because I think we've covered now basically everything you've mentioned in the essay. Is there anything that we forgot to talk about? I think I think we covered a really good chunk of it. One one quick comment on the last thing I wanted to throw out there. Um, I just read an article a couple of days ago about uh, Twitter uh, and trying to kind of find ways to control the social media and, and, and find more truth, I guess. And they've got this new program called Bird Watchers, where bird watchers are people who are kind of somewhat qualified. They have to go through kind of a week long process to kind of prove that they're not bots or they're not some kind of, uh, you know, paid person to do it. Um, and basically it's up to them to kind of decide which, which tweets are factual and which are kind of, you know, uh, misleading or disinformational. Um, and they can kind of rank them and rate them. And it, it's pretty similar to what we've talked about in the past, Martin, with our kind of uh, truth, TruthWorks project, where it's just a matter of figuring out what social media is actually, I guess, good or, or true or, or beneficial for society in some ways, uh, and trying to kind of at least give some way to let the good stuff get to the top so that you see more of the good, truthful, kind of accurate stuff and the, more of the garbage that's just kind of sensational, just trying to get likes or just trying to be crazy and sensational, like Earth is Flat and, and all these other kinds of things that are just kind of ways to get attention. And, you know, if you can kind of find ways to kind of bury or, or just lower the priority a little bit on things that are, you know, not proven as easily or, or things that are less true, let's just say, than, than some of the well-known agreed upon normative truths, normal truths, I guess you could call them. Um, so anyway, I, I thought that was a pretty interesting thing that Twitter's working on this. They're, they're kind of, you know, taking yeah, ideas. They and... that they are working on this. I, yeah. but I don't know if it's like the, um, the way they make profits that they, um, through emotional and sensational um, things that people see there and they, um, like do something about them and then spend more time on the social media, then I don't think that they really want to do something about this information. And fact-checking is um, on one hand really important, but we should better try to prevent this information from even reaching people. And 
um, because when someone falls into a hole, um, then there is, then he cannot, he doesn't ac accept any fact, any facts. So we can show them millions of fact-checking sites and everything, but they would not change their mind because they are brainwashed. <laughs> so no. Yeah, I think what, what Nella is saying is accurate. Uh, I would just point out that there's sort of a different approach that I also, I guess, I now consider to be my favorite approach that sadly isn't being talked about as much, and that's trying to use AI against AI uh, in that somebody's developing apps which are called news disaggregators. Not aggregators, but disaggregators, meaning that it's an app that has an, uses an AI that has an algorithm that is trying to take all the news and then allow you to see like uh, the biases in uh, what the, the kinds of news were shown or weren't shown and sort of uh, allow you to say, no, just stop the biases and just like give me information which is representative in terms of uh, whatever priorities you would set in into the app in terms of the distribution of the news sources and stuff so that with that first step one would allow you to decode in the in that app what kind of bias there is in a particular source in how they're doing the, the news and also to select uh basically filter filter the the, the news feed. so i think that maybe that's uh, because i think I forgot the specific name but that's what like some of the leading people in ai now are doing or trying to do to help uh which i think this this would be nice because this is a tool that people can get and if they like you said would uh in this way, not even receive the bias without understanding that it is bias, then I guess uh, you could prevent new people from being sort of uh, confused about things. It wouldn't help with people who have already been confused. I think there will be other parts of the solution needed. And I think also the sort of open source, like showing the code of the algorithms, making it not obscure is another big part of uh, helping everybody understand uh what is more or less truthful to begin with or more biased or less biased or what even is happening uh because uh sort of full disclosure i'm not sure if you're aware of that i also uh dabble in things uh i guess the best way to introduce it my bachelor's thesis uh, at the university was about the trying to define the genre of conspiracy documentary movies so i'm very much interested as like a, a scientist a social scientist in conspiracy theories and various other ways to confuse people on the internet. I think what I did was trying to disentangle like uh, in these kind of documentary movies, like what percentage of them is mystification specifically, or just lying or bad facts specifically, or omission and stuff like that. So uh, if you look at controversial subjects, like uh, which are very interesting, uh, interesting to these, for instance, skeptical community, like the people who are supposed to be the arbiters of what are facts are not facts on the internet, like academicians and scientists, who make it their basically work to popularize science and like what's factual or not. And uh, you see if you have subjects like, for instance, uh, astrology, which is very hated by the skeptics and uh, very controversial. And then you look at uh, also what the people on the, let's say, right side, like the skeptics, are doing wrong. In that, like, there's also problems, I believe, in how people who are supposed to be the fact checkers or the people who are supposed to help people see what is actually reasonable or factual on the internet have their own biases that are sort of running unchecked and stuff and that's i guess difficult for the community of like the skeptical community to even acknowledge uh so like i also think like the one part of the solution we have to be the skeptical community or the 
fact-checking community being more skeptical of itself, which also includes like the trusted news sources, because that's the whole thing that the easiest thing in the world for the conspiracy people to say, uh, don't trust the news, everybody's just biased and lying or whatever, so that nobody trusts anything. And uh, in this situation, it's very problematic when some of the trusted sources or the mainstream sources actually are lying and doing bad reporting and stuff. So uh, I think that's also, for me, uh, a big part of the solution. But uh, yeah, I, I just generally agree with you, which is not ideal because that's not the best basis for a discussion or a debate, but I guess here we are. We, we definitely have to find ways to make truth more profitable, maybe, you know, fi find ways to incentivize companies and individuals to just fact check a little more or, or even also just make individuals perhaps more open-minded in general to other sides. And to, you, you mentioned the hole and that's a real serious problem in the world is people kind of get stuck in their holes of, of facts and doesn't matter how many facts you bring before them, they'll still believe, you know, the earth is flat or they'll still believe whatever the man never landed on the moon and all, all these things, they will just believe it no matter how many things you show or, or they're, they're stuck. And they like being stuck in some ways. It's their tribe. You know, they'll go to war. They'll die on that battle. Some kind of religious warfare, perhaps, over some kind of idea. Um, so I think, really, the fact that we're talking about it here and that more and more people, I think, are talking about it is very good. I think that's one of our main goals is to just get people talking about these things a little bit more and, and get people to be just a little more open to other points of view and other ideas. And and. I think that's great that you're you're here, Nella, that you're willing to take some time from your Saturday and share these points of views with the world. I think, uh, you know, if we had a million more Nellas out there, the world would be a, a much more better place, I think. And, and that's definitely something we're trying to strive to get more people interested in these kinds of discussions. Yeah, but for those people who should you tell us to be maybe more open-minded, I think that they are often maybe with um, low, education and with low incomes and then maybe those disinformation or conspiration theories promise them some easy world seeing and promise, um, promise them then and they maybe tell them truths that is easier for them to accept than the truth that their lives are maybe bad because of no reason because they are just bad and maybe um there is no one to blame for that but it is hard um, and even not in some um, in some situations we, they shouldn't maybe also blame themselves because maybe their parents and then and maybe the parents of the parents you know it's like it's hard for someone to accept that there is no one to blame for a bad situation and then um, some disinformation tells them that it was I don't know uh, Soros or <laughs> Biden or what else and um, they tend to believe that because it is easier than to deal with the real world. Yeah. Great. Okay, well, thank you so much for, for joining us today, Nella. Martin, is there any final comments or questions you'd, you'd like to put before we wrap it up for today? Well, uh, just that the more I see Nella speak, the more I would like to see her at a debating tournament or something. Uh, <laughs> just uh, just so you know, uh, I'm uh, on the board of the Czech Debate Society, and we do plan to again uh, have an international debating tournament hosted next summer, which is called uh, Heart of Europe uh, in Olomouc specifically. So I'm just letting you know, uh, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do, but uh, Based based on your essay and uh, on our discussion today, 
I, I really think you should, should try to check it out because uh, international debating competitions in English are uh, happening once again after the whole coronavirus situation all over the world. And uh, I think it's something you might, might enjoy. Thank you. Great. Well, thanks so much again, Nala, for joining us today. We'll continue to spread the message of your essay, the message of peace as much as we can. That's definitely our main goal with, with this podcast is bringing people together. And uh, we can't save the world alone. That was the other great point in your essay is that no one can do this alone. No one can, can save the world on their own. And, and the more people we get together, the more people we get talking and thinking about solutions, um, the better able we'll be able to, to push, some, push a few good things through and, and make the world better one step at a time, one idea at a time. So uh, thank you so much. Hopefully we can connect again some point in the future. Uh, anytime uh, you have any questions or you want to come on and just talk with us about any ideas or, or feel free to send us an email anytime. Um, and, you know, check out the website. Anybody who's watching this, savingtheworldtogether.org. Um, and uh, let us know anytime you want to get involved. And thanks so much for joining us today, Nella. And any final comments that you'd like to put out there or any final uh, ideas you want to toss out to everybody? Probably so fine. I'm really happy I could be here and share some points of view I had on peace. And yeah, I hope that peaceful world comes. Um, and yeah, maybe <laughs> I will live in it for some years. It's a great, it's a great hope to have. Thanks again so much, and let's uh, save the world together. <laughs>